0: Hi everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church and we meet on Wednesdays at 7:30 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us and we hope you enjoy. Thank you, uh, Morgan, for leading us. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians or the book of Colossians. Um, If you're new to the Bible, just kind of turn towards the back half and look for uh, some books that end in I-N-A-S or I-N-A-S, and it will be Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, And we are in this book uh, for the next couple of weeks, really just taking it verse by verse or little number by little number, uh, chapter by chapter, and uh, we have uh, titled this series or entitled this series, uh, Empty. And the reason we've done that uh, is this book really does address some things that uh, would you would resonate with and how maybe you would feel empty, and how Jesus, we believe, brings fulfillment in that for us. And last week, Luke uh, kicked us off. He started us off in this book covering the first 14 verses, and he talked to, he asked us some questions about um, our reputation and our mission, and he had shared a few things about his life, and one of the things he had shared about um, was how he had, you know worked at a, a deer barn, and he wears these funny clothes, and he does all this stuff, so really. With nothing pertaining to nothing or anything, if that makes sense, I have a picture of Luke himself uh, dressed. You can go to pull up the first photo for me. Um, I, I walked in. I, I work at the same place with him in the evening, and I walked in one night. And I, I, I like why I'm like, no, you did it, dude. Like I like pulled out my phone and I couldn't get we couldn't get the picture, but he has these big white gloves on. So the very next thing I Googled and looked up was the only person that would resemble what he was trying to accomplish that day. Go ahead and pull up the next photo for me. Um, I just feel like it fits... (laughs) so well with him and his message and his mission in life. So from now on in my phone, he will be Luke Mario. Uh, So anyway, you can go to the next uh, slide for me. That is just for comedic relief for some of you. But the question I want to start off tonight uh, as we jump into this is what do you get excited about? What gets you fired up? Uh, What gets you your, your blood pumping in a sense? For some of you, you have no idea what that word means, excitement. You see people like me and you get nervous of how excited I am. You see maybe people get fired up, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're, and, and you have never talked more than this in your life, and this is, this is you excited. You are so excited for the bachelor to start. You are so excited for marriage to approach you, and this is your excitement, and I make you nervous. And I am thankful that I make you nervous. But because no matter what, there are things you get excited about. Maybe you get excited about the Browns. Come on. Yeah, come on. This is, this is incredible. You get excited about Ohio State. Ah, oh, uh, battle wound. Too soon, too soon. Uh, you get excited about college, maybe, or career, or friendships. There are things, hopefully that caused you to get excited maybe there is someone that you get excited about yeah oh yeah you see him and you're like and you don't know what to say and you run and you hide and you never talk again because you got so excited but the question is what do you get excited about for me i get excited about a lot of things maybe too many things Maybe too much stuff or whatever, but for me, the reason maybe I am more excited tonight uh, is primarily because of what we're gonna talk about, but it was nine years ago today. Nine years ago. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It was nine years ago. It was January 13th. I crawled out of my bed. It was 12.30 at night. I went over, which means it would be the next day. I crawled over. Opened up the drawer, I pulled out my Bible, what did I do? Blew the dust off. Opened up my Bible, I did one of these things, I said, God, I need you to speak to me. I looked down, and it was Matthew 16, 24, that if anyone is willing to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Nine years ago today, I gave my life to Christ. Christ. And so for me, it is my spiritual birthday. So I would like to sing happy, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) That would be awesome. Uh, But anyway, there are things that maybe you get excited about or I get excited about. There was a service I was in Sunday over in our auditorium. Uh, Trent Chapman was there. Rick Chloe was there. I got smoked, in a sense. Have you ever just sat through a service and you didn't really know what was going on? and next thing you know, you're just an absolute emotional wreck, And you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, and like Trent's like holding me up. And I'm like, you know, it's just weird where you ever had God do something in your life and you got excited about it, that he either ministered to you. And even as I'm talking about it now, some of you are having memories of when God did do that and you wish he would do it again that you miss or you long for him to meet you again or minister to you again. Because this guy writing the letter, he is beyond excited about what he is going to say. It is the epicenter of everything he does, why he does it, why he gets out of bed, why you decide to do anything in your life. You should at least consider or contemplate this topic tonight. And I know some of you would say, of course, the pastor said this message is the most important one. He said it last week, you'll say it next week. And really, this is the climax of the book in Colossians. It is really what Paul, this guy writing this letter, it's like someone sending you a text that is a mile long. You open it and you start, you're like, oh no, not a chance. And you're like, "I'll, I'll have to go back and read this when you what? You have time. Because in this part of the letter, it is something that he really wants to communicate. What do you get excited about? And the question that you and I have to ask is this. There are something that's important for us to know as Christians. There are some things in life that we can get wrong. There are some things in life that we can get wrong or some things that you need to get right. I think it's the next slide or next question or can't afford to get some things wrong. There are people... Maybe that you know, they're just know-it-alls. They've never been wrong in their life. You're like, how did you know my mom? Right, you're like, how did you know my sister? They've never been wrong in their life. As Christians, there are things we can go like this. We're open-handed. You start talking about end times, I'm like, "Ah, I don't know, he's coming back, right? You start talking about church denominations, I'm like, I don't give a rip. Like, they're all, yeah, Jesus is one. Like, um, you start talking about certain things, and we would say, hey, you can get these things wrong. Some things you can't get wrong. It was uh, two Sundays or three Sundays ago. I was preaching here on Sunday morning and I walked up. My opening like story was about uh, my wedding day. And I came up here and I was like, you know, I was trying to like, get attention. I'm like, it was June 26, 2016. And I start to share this story and my wife is in the back, like just dying laughing. And I was like, I am killing it right now. <laughs> like, I was like, I mean, she is just loving this. And I get home, we sit down to eat, and she goes, hey, what day, what day did we get married? And when you get that question, you know. And I was like, uh, the, the 16th, it was the 16th. Nope. The 26th, it was June 26th. Nope. I'm like, Hope, come on. She was like, it was the 25th. I was like, oh, Don't get your wedding date wrong. You can't afford to get that one wrong. That was a grind. But some things in life you can't get wrong. You can't get what we are talking about today wrong. This guy who's writing this letter, he is addressing an issue because some people were saying things not even about himself, but about a guy named Jesus. They had said some things about Jesus that weren't true. And there are things you can say about Jesus that aren't true that... Maybe you won't have a big fight about, it's not going to cause a lot of havoc, but there are some things if you say wrong about Jesus, it's going to cause some issues. And the reason is it's going to cause issues is because heaven and hell literally weigh in the balances of what Jesus did. And if we are going to get anything wrong or anything right, it has to be this, and so tonight is really this idea of who Jesus is or who is Jesus and what he does for you and I. So the first point tonight are really covering verse, verses 15 uh, to 16, if you'd pull it up for me, that Jesus is the God that you want to see. It says this, he, which is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Some of you maybe have felt like in a time where you wanted to see God. Maybe you looked out and you're like, God, if you're real, show yourself. I would like to see you. I would like to interact with you. You see other people, hear other people talking about God. You say, God, if you're real, show yourself. He is the image of the invisible God, literally, the face the firstborn of all creation. I'll talk about that in a second. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so it, it, literally verses 15 to 20 um, is, a, is a poem or, or a song that he is singing out because uh, Paul sometimes will write a letter, and I know I've never done this, but you get so excited you just bust out in a song. I don't know. Uh, he busts out in this hymn to where he is saying, he, that Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. If you are looking for God, if you are searching for God, You and I need to look no further than Jesus Christ himself. That when we say, I wonder what God is like, I got to look to Jesus. I wonder how God would interact with me on this level, I look to Jesus. I wonder what God thinks about this, I look to Jesus, that he is literally the face of God himself. And it says in John 1:3, that without Jesus, nothing was made. Well, it says the firstborn of all creation. Does that mean Jesus was born? No, It literally all it means is that he is the first one to rise from the dead in all creation. That without Jesus, he is creator, he is sustainer, and he, as this is saying, firstborn, created all things. He had you in mind that God invents things with care and intentionality, and Jesus himself has a purpose for you. And the purpose is him, that he is the God that you want to see, that the emptiness in your heart, I might say this five times every week, emptiness is a gift from God so that you would go to him. He allows us for our lives to be a bucket with holes as we try to fill things and do things without him, and he just says, come to me. He says, I am gentle, I am lowly in heart. So the reason Paul is saying these things is because there are these guys, and just for some of you Bible people out there, that they are called Gnostics in this time. So the Apostle Paul did not plant this church. Luke kind of talked about this last week. This guy, Paphras, planted this church, and the Apostle Paul, this guy, is in prison He is in jail and he is penning this letter. And as he is doing it, he is catching wind. That what people are saying, this is what they're saying that there are false teachers or people that are saying, hey, Jesus is a good guy. He's a good prophet. He's loving. He's caring. But he is not the only rung on the ladder. That once you get to Jesus, you got to be pretty good. And once you're pretty good, you gotta stay good. And once you gotta stay good, you need to make sure that you are learning and knowledge and philosophy. And this book will keep going back to this idea that in him, that in Christ, is literally all that you need and should be all that you have. That when we look to Christ, he is Lord over all or he is not Lord at all. This was a mantra or a song or a chant that they would sing during this time. So just a little participation here, and I know battle wounds, but it's the only illustration I can sing or think of, is if I say O-H. Oh, Right, so you would know that that's what we would say. So the apostles during this time or the the people walking around this day, when they were, people would say that Jesus is Lord, but he's not Lord over certain things or heaven and earth or visible or invisible. They They would chant back, he is Lord over all or he is not Lord at all. He is Lord over all creation. That God literally, literally in the form of Jesus Christ holds the universe, it says in Isaiah 48, in the span of his hand. He is creator, sustainer. He is the God you are looking for. He is the one that when you are empty, draws you back to him. Verse 17, and I think it's my second point, that Jesus is everything. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, not that he was created, but that he's the first one to rise from the dead. That in everything, let's talk for a second, everything about my career, everything, my decisions, everything, where I want to be, everything, in my marriage, everything, in my relationships, everything, in my finances, everything, that he might be preeminent. Top, top dog, he is all things, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So, here's what's amazing to me. When it says, all things in him all things hold together, it says in the Psalms, it's, it's crazy, that he tells the waters to come a certain direction and tells them when to stop. He tells the sun when to rise and when to go down. He's pointing at creation and what to do and how to do it and has all of it in his hand. But I come to him and I say, why don't you have my life together? Why don't you have my things in order? God, why do you have all of creation in your hand, but with my life it seems like it's barely hanging on by a thread? I come to God expecting things to look a certain way, to be a certain way, to act a certain way, and what you and I have done, or what I tend to do, is I'll go to God and I will will act as if my life is out of control to him and bothersome to him. That it's a little frustrating to him. That your anxiety, he's never dealt with that kind of anxiety. That uh, needing direction, he's never dealt with that kind of direct needing direction. He's never dealt with needing that kind of wisdom. Because in our own mind and sinfulness, we forget that he is everything. And what you and I have done, or what I've tended to do, unknowingly, I have put him first. And we need to stop putting Jesus first. Some of you are like, oh, heretic. You're like, seek first the kingdom of God, right? You're thinking, here's what I mean by this point right here. When you put Jesus first, right? Maybe you start out your New Year's resolutions. Number one was Jesus, right? Number two, spouse, right? Number three, money. Like you have your list. All you ones out there, I know how it goes. You got that, I mean, you got 98 things on that list for today. And you got you got Jesus at top, he's number one, which in, an, in a sense, yes, he, he should be first in our lives, but Jesus is everything. He is everything. He is all that I need. When it says that he would be preeminent, or in everything he is preeminent, he is all that I have. He is not the first in my life, but rather the center of my life. Because when he is the center of my life or the center of your life, I don't put him in a compartment. So when I put him in a compartment, here's what it means. Some of you, we do this all the time, we'll say, Jesus, I love Jesus, and I'll, I'll hang out with him on Wednesday nights. That's my church friends, that's my church people, but when I go to school or I go to work, that's not my Jesus time. I'll have Jesus time on Sunday morning. I'll have Jesus time here, maybe in the car when I'm feeling Carrie Job. I'll have Jesus over here. That was a curb. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, I like Carrie Job. She's a beast. So anyway, uh, <laughs> um, you, you'll put him in a compartment, but Jesus does not fit in any compartment you have. And when you compartmentalizing, when you compartmentalize him, you shove him off into the corner, and he can't invade all of your life. Just some of it. Jesus is everything. It is all about Jesus. As cliche, corny, some of some of that that might sound to some of you, it is everything. He is all we have, everything we need. He is before all things. And when it says he is head of the body of the church, Jesus is your pastor. He is your shepherd. He cares for you. He guides you. Some of you get mad at pastors, right? You're like, the, pastors might be the reason you don't love Jesus as much as you, do, you used to. But you would re- reject the idea that he is, in a sense, our pastor, that he is our great shepherd. It is all about Jesus. Everything. Your future, your current circumstances, your career, your hopes, your dreams, it is all about Jesus. It's not about singing the songs that you like. It's not about being morally better people. It's not about you stop doing 98 things and you start doing all these things Christian people would like you to do. It's not about, it's, it's not about whatever for you, you would think in your mind Christianity would be. That you would have to be better, do more things, get smarter, learn more. That there would be Jesus is the first rung of your ladder, but really you need to climb it a little bit more. That is a lie from the pit of hell, that it is all about Jesus. That he is not first in my life, he is everything in my life. Whether you are pastor or not, ministry, you're working in a place you don't want to be, you're in school where you don't want to be, you're in a relationship you don't want to be, Jesus wants to enter that space. He wants you to bring him in. He wants to set up shop, he wants to take home, and he wants to hold all things together as well as your life. Isn't that what you actually want from God? Isn't that the God that you are looking for? Would you pull up again 17 uh, to 19 for me again? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, in verse 19 which means this, That Jesus himself was fully God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature and character. He is more loving and gracious than your mind can comprehend. He is more patient than any person you have ever talked to in your life. He listens when you need someone to listen to. And when you need to hear something, he speaks. He is God himself. Jesus is everything. This passage goes on here, and it talks about how Jesus makes peace, or Jesus made peace possible in verse 20, 20 to 23. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, speaking to eventually God will restore what is broken here on earth. All the mess you and I see, all the crap you and I see on TV, all the stuff that is just broken, when you sit there and you watch and you say, why wouldn't God do something He will, and one day he will return, and he will restore all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus does not sit back passively, waiting, waiting for you to do something about your salvation. He actively moves forward and makes peace, because you needed it. Some of you, we talk about peace and you're like, I don't even know what peace feels like. I don't even know how to, I don't even have a, have a category to put peace in. I don't know how I would communicate peace to someone else. Jesus comes and makes peace for you with God by the blood of the cross. And then Paul, because he's so good, he talks about you and me and our need for Jesus by the blood of the cross. And you. So insert your name here. Uh, Don't put my name, Mike, but you put your name. Put and you. He is talking to people who have accepted Christ. So if you have accepted Christ before, and you would say you're a Jesus follower, insert your name. Say, this is me. And if you have not, why not tonight? Why not? If you need peace with God, this could be you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Because the gospel literally is active towards you while you were yet a sinner, he has now reconciled his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. So I'm going to stop right there. I need to explain 23 that you can be made holy before God. Not that you look holy, not that you act holy, not that you, you know, never mess up ever again. A lot of people don't want to come to Christ because you know, you're not sure what, if you can do this again or if God can, as one man said, he said, I don't feel like God can really hold me. I don't feel like he, he might just let me go because I'm so bad. That he can hold you and he calls you and when you come to God through Christ, you are made holy and blameless. And then how Paul continues here in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, beca- I, Paul, became a minister. He keeps bringing up heaven and earth, visible, invisible, because these people were saying, Jesus might be good here on earth, but he's not gonna be good in heaven. Jesus might be good and visible, but maybe not invisible. And then he said, under heaven and earth, this gospel, that Jesus is everything, that he is all we need, that he is sufficient, this will be proclaimed and preached. If you continue in the faith. So, Faith is active, it is a one-time, ongoing decision. That faith, when you put your faith or trust in Jesus, he saves you. It says in Romans 5, 1, we have been justified, or just as if I've never done it, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul says in Colossians 3, 20, or 315, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Some of you feel empty and you're a follower of Christ and you say, well, what am I supposed to do? The gospel, I I accepted Christ. The gospel is not something or what Jesus has done is not this check mark, I did it one time, I feel good and I'm done. It is ongoing and active. And it says in Luke 22, this is one of my favorite Jesus said, th- or, uh, Jesus said this to Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Implication, your faith can fail. That if you continue in the faith, our peace is ongoing and active. But I want to be clear with this. He keeps me, I don't keep me. And I know that that is grammatically one of the worst things that you can put on the screen. But it's all I had. It's all, the only way I could communicate it. He keeps me, I don't keep me. That it says in John 10 that we are in the, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And my father has given them to me and no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one, that no one can pluck you out that he keeps me. But my faith, believing that God has what's best for me, guiding me is active. It is how he is calling me and ministering to me. I can't keep me. I can't even keep my own crap together. I barely get my own life together. He keeps me. And if my faith, if you feel like you are failing, that you are sifting like wheat, that you are shifting from the hope of the gospel, the question is this. Is your faith in yourself or is it in Christ? When my faith is in me and what I have to offer, it fails me. When my faith is in, uh, can I get an amen from the control freaks? When my faith is in what I can control, it fails me. I become anxious. I become dependent on how much more I can grip. I become more controlling. But I have to release and say, God, even in my own life, you hold the universe together. You keep me. You minister to me. So what I need to do, and, and pull up 2 Corinthians 3:18. How I want to kind of transition here and being done. It says this: We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what I am Asking, at least for the next maybe 10 weeks, is that you and I, during this series, we would not look at myself or yourself or ourselves, but rather we would look to Christ and behold his glory. That you and I have no idea how to behold things. I don't even know how to explain it, honestly. I was trying to think, how do I behold something? We look at it, we gaze at it, we talk about it, we think about it, we meditate on it, I I think about it, And, and that's why we would come in here for the next 10 weeks on every Wednesday night and we would say, we're gonna look at what Christ has done. I'm not gonna look at myself, I'm not gonna get all jammed up in what I have done, but I'm gonna look to Christ and I'm gonna make this commitment for this series on empty. The reason I'm probably empty is because I have looked within and not up. That I have looked at what I can do not what God can do. That I, that I look at what I can muster up in faith instead of looking at Jesus who brings faith. And when I see him, I can't help but have faith. That when I see what Jesus has done on the cross, it is one time I put my faith in him and it is ongoing. That he makes peace possible, that you can have peace with God. But also for some of you tonight, you're trying to figure out where God would have you. And Paul does us so well in Colossians 1 and ministers to us and he says, if you continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, because I often just forget. I'll often be over here, I'll be over here. I'll not remember what the gospel really is and what Christ has done for me. It was too it was a month and a half ago, two months ago. I sat down uh, with an individual. He was, he's 21 years old. He had been coming to a men's study, and we had talked, and I had explained to him what the gospel is. And I had said to him, this is the gospel. Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And if you want to have salvation, if you want to have a home in heaven, if you don't want to go to hell, but you want to go to heaven, you have to confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. We sat there a month and a half ago and he said, I'm, I'm not ready to do that. I, I don't, I, and this is what he said. I am so scared that if I make that decision afterwards, I don't think I'll be able to keep that commitment that afterwards I'm going to make, what, well, I'll make mistakes. I'll go to the party. I'll do these certain things, and he'll he'll start sharing these things. And I said, no, 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 no. has nothing to do with that. It literally says in the Bible, once you accept Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. It is literally impossible to happen. He keeps me. So anyway, Christmas Eve, he came. He saw me, and I was, afterwards, he, like, come walking to me. He said, like, hey, man, he to talked to you about that thing you talked to me about. And I was like, you know, and he, uh. He said, I, "You know, he's like, why don't we just get together?" So I had started praying for him, and him and I got together uh, earlier today. And he said it was after that conversation. He said in my room. He said it was one of those nights can't fall asleep. You know, he said I put my phone away, put the TV away. I'm sitting there, and I'm my mind is racing. He said I'm anxious, I can't breathe, I'm all these things. And he said it was in that moment, what we had talked about, God, <laughs> sin what Jesus has done, and that if you would confess and believe. He said, it was right then, I just put my faith in Christ. And I was like, are you sure? Like, do you know? He's like, no, 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 I've never had peace like this in my life. This is amazing. And it was absolutely incredible. It was simple. It was exactly what God wanted and what God needed. And for some of you tonight, I'm gonna ask you, if you've never made a decision for Christ, why not tonight? What would God have to do What else would he have to convince you with? What else would he have to bring up? How far along would you have to go? Just like nine years ago today, I asked Jesus to come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. You can make that decision today. There's nothing you have to muster up. There's no good works you have to do. There's nothing you know, crazy about it. you got to get all these classes done. There's nothing like that. Literally a prerequisite for you to come is that you would realize you're pretty messed up, that you are broken and hurting, and that you would look to what Jesus has done, and that he died for sinners, and he died for you while you were yet a sinner, and he sits there, it says in Romans, with his arms out wide, saying, hey, come on, would you, would you come? Would you come? Lord, we thank you for tonight. And God, I thank you for just your grace and your mercy. Lord, I just want to kind of finish out and read Colossians 1. It says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. If you are here tonight and you would like to accept Christ, all you have to do is cry out to him that you would say, God, I am a sinner. I admit that I have done some things that I can't undo. That I have made mistakes, that I have thought things I shouldn't have thought. I have literally last weekend, I have done things that I I just can't get out of my head. And God, I need forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Cry out to God and say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, that you would come into my life, that I Believe what Jesus did on the cross in the resurrection. I need that in my life. If you are here tonight and you are praying a prayer like that and you would like me to pray for you, would you just slip your hand up just between me and you so I can pray for you. <clears throat> Thank you. Anyone else? That you would call out to God for salvation. It says in the bible that there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents that if you need christ as he is knocking on your heart that you literally invite him in by faith and it says he has a home in heaven for you and if you've made that decision tonight that is literally the best decision you can ever make And as we get ready to sing one more song, if you need to talk to someone, if you need to make that decision, you want to talk about Jesus, you want him to be everything, but he's not, don't leave tonight without talking to someone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand as we sing?